Today, Matt, Aaron, and I are discussing executive functioning skill challenges that our students may be facing during this time of virtual teaching and learning. EF skills are the brain-based skills required for humans to execute or perform tasks. These skills include planning, organization, time management, emotional control, and many others. So is it any wonder some of our students are having a hard time? We discuss these skills and challenges in some detail today and suggest strategies that we're using to help support our students. But it seems like this discussion has only just begun. Please take a listen and send us your ideas and strategies for support as well. Hey, Erin and Matt, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be here, Lori. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, Lori. Thanks for asking me a lot. So I thought we'd get together today and chat more about the topic of executive functioning skills during this time of virtual learning. So we were all panelists uh, for the International School Services webinar. And the subject of executive functioning skills came up. And it was a, definitely a red flag issue. A lot of people were asking questions about it during our discussion. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So. I thought it'd be a great idea if we could get together and, and talk about it and talk about what we're doing with our students to um, help with those executive functioning skills challenges that they might be having at this time. Perfect. Sounds, Sounds like a plan? Yeah. Let's All do right. It. So knowing what executive functioning skills are, why do you think some of our students or quite a few of our students at this time are struggling during this time of virtual learning? Well, I think if you're looking at executive skills, you're talking about response inhibition, emotional control, sustaining your attention, initiating tasks, goal-directed persistence, organization, time management, planning, prioritizing, working memory, metacognition. <laughs> These are all the things Just a few. which are so hard to put in place virtually. So I, I think we've talked about this previously as well, that our students who have challenges with executive functioning are the ones who are struggling most in the virtual learning environment because they don't seem to have that orchestra conduct. Sorry, it's like the orchestra is in their mind and they don't have the conductor to manage that orchestra. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, and I think that that's a great analogy. And one of the roles that we play as teachers when we're present and in our classrooms with our students is that we cue them and we build in those scaffolds that kind of help them, you know, learn those pathways to get their orchestra working all together to play their beautiful symphony, right? <laughs> and so we're not there in the present now and we're not providing those cues and those scaffolds. Um, so it really, it, the onus is on them to do that and it becomes, you know, that adds an additional challenge to it. And when you're not there physically, you, you, you literally cannot be standing behind them or beside them, giving some of those cues for the physical behaviors we want to stop and the other behaviors we want to start, you know, helping them manage their use of technology. We can only see what's in the screen in front of us. And that little square box with that picture on is not telling us that they're, you know, texting a friend or, or playing with fidget toys which aren't actually helping they're distracting <laughs> it, it's tricky to, you know to yeah. reach 
And you, and you talk about that screen. Well, if you think about it from their perspective too, like what, how much information are we pushing out that then they're having to weed through? So some of that, you know, the processing stuff that happens where you look at a whole field of text where all of our directions are written out, that's going to be really hard for a child to organize who does have executive functioning um, skill, you know, challenges and things is that, you know, how do I pull the important information out of that information? So, so screens are hard across the board. Yes. Yeah, I mean, even think about our staff meetings, right? And, you know, they've got all this information for us and we're trying to process it all while someone's trying to talk, while our kids are running around in the, in the background, our own children. So it's hard for us as adults. So I can't imagine our poor kids. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, this is the thing, right? When we're in meetings, we've got our own regulatory mechanisms which enable us to continue to attend, even if we know we're using them or not, you know, kicking your leg, tapping your foot, going for a walk to get a coffee. All these things are actually things that we can do to manage ourselves and manage our arousal levels so that we can be present in meetings. And of course, a lot of kids don't know how to do that or the behaviors they're doing. It's because they haven't developed those skills. They're, they're not inherent within them yet. Yeah. So what, oh. what challenge are you seeing the most of? Let's ask Erin, who's elementary. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Might be different for high school. I think so. I think it probably will. You know, I think there'll be common themes probably between us. But um, so I think that it's um, task organization. So just management of all the moving pieces. I think that, you know, we have sort of come to tools like Clever and things like that, that will help us sort of minimize the number of logons and sign-ons that they have, um, you know, and, and, and things along those lines. But really just being able to organize all of the tasks they need to do in any given day. So a lot of the work I've been doing to support the younger learners is really like helping them map out and schedule. Like, what does my day look like today? What are the tasks I have to get done? What are the tools I need to do those tasks? How much time should it take me? Um, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and then, you know, I think that the in the elementary level, a lot of it is parent coaching. A lot of it is really helping side by side with the parents, help them realize, oh, okay, these are all, these complex tasks are things that I need to help break down into smaller pieces um, for young learners and just help them, you know, build up their self-efficacy um, so that they're able to support their learners. Um, but it's, it's, it's just, they're completely swamped and overwhelmed with all the moving pieces. Yeah, and for my students, I see sustained attention. Oh, big time. Oh, wow. You know, yeah. it's, it's just the slightest little thing catches their yes. attention. Um, their dog barks or um, a, a creak in their chair when they move. It yeah. completely changes where their brain was going in that one moment of time. So yeah, it's I actually a real struggle. <laughs> It, yeah, I, I, same, same. And I actually passed out like, you know, weighted vests and yoga balls and things like I actually met parents out and handed off resources just like you need to be building an exercise breaks, you know, you need right. to build in a 10 minutes of calm to anchor them. You need to, you know, like just to help them kind of get that pacing right because yeah, that sustained attention is huge. I'm glad you brought that up. And I think as well, when you talk about it and I hear like, the idea of using sensory diets. And I think at the elementary level, at least, sometimes it's easier to facilitate a sensory diet in a more um, visible way. You like know, a strategic it's, way. It's very strategic and very mm -hmm. deliberate. Whereas mm -hmm. in the middle and high school, particularly in the high school with the students that I work, 
sensory diet for me is so different that I'm like, okay, everybody go and get a snack from the canteen or something, you know, not say, oh, can you carry these books to so-and-so in another room? That's not going to necessarily work, you know, like the heavy lifting. But if you're like, okay, go go and buy a smoothie from from the the local cafeteria or whatever, that's those sorts of those sorts of um, opportunities are not in place, right? And it's very hard to say to the kids, right, get up, take a three-minute break, go and stretch your legs, go to the kitchen, get a drink, whatever it is you need to do. I, those type of things are harder for the older students to take ownership of, you know. You, know, the, you mean they don't the, want to walk around like a, their favorite animal? Or do a Go Noodle video? <laughs> no, those are the two things they do actually want to do, so I have to rely on them a lot. <laughs> if only right so i'll be there like doing push-ups and sit-ups and the kids will be going what are you doing you know <laughs> so i get fit and the kids are just watching me you know trying desperately hard not to you know lie down or fall asleep and and, and this yeah. is the thing right because we see them at different times of the day and we know that they're going to be in a bit of a like a slump after lunch or whatever and it's like trying to at least give them the language to identify that that's what they're feeling at that and, time. Yeah, that's a huge thing. And I wonder, that's probably a difference too, you know, is that schedule disruption because things can, are so, I think one of the beauties has been for our kiddos who, who are struggling with virtual learning is that they can shift their schedule, right? They can say, okay, I need a break and I'll come back to it this afternoon. They're not stuck in a rigid schedule where, okay, no recess is coming up. We need to do it now. However, what that means is that their nights are getting pushed later. So, so it's really messing with that sleep cycle. And for a lot of kiddos, that sleep cycle is one of the only things that holds them together during stressful times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I imagine with the older kids too, if you're on tech all day and you're doing, you know, I wonder, you know, with sleep disruption, what is, what is happening for them? Do you, to be honest, and this might just be because of working at International School Bangkok, but we normally start school at 7.20 in the morning and quite a lot of our kids commute to school. We're now starting at 9 a.m. and there's no commute. So actually, oh. this, in terms of the sleep, has been wonderful for those kids who wow. are the night owls and, you know, are up late. So ironically, kids who often complain about being tired, I'm not getting that anywhere near as much as I would back in the school environment. So the sleep, for us at least, is, is working out super well. But oh, that's normally, beautiful. ironically, in class, it's a completely different thing, you know, and I'm at one point, I was hiding the beanbags from my classroom because kids would just be like trying to collapse in them. It didn't work because they just <laughs> lie on the floor instead. But you know, yeah, wow. Teenagers are very, very persistent. It's amazing what they um, accomplish. I just want to pick up on a couple of things that you said about um, the needs of the students, and you know, and what I'm seeing at the at the secondary level, and particularly in the high school. I think. Again, organization is a, is a huge challenge for our students, knowing what to do and when to do it. And uh, task initiation is a big thing, you know, actually starting the task and um, persisting with the task, and completing it, again, it's the same attention. Those, those things really seem to be some of the biggest challenges that we, that we have to try and support the students with, right? So, Another thing that you mentioned as well, which I think is still really important for the older students, is parent coaching. You know, parents, it's so much more helpful for the student if the parents come in and be the frontal lobe for their child. You know, 
as much as we want students to be independent, we also have to be realistic and learn, you know, and know that, you know, in the students who have executive functioning challenges, these are delayed skills, right, a lot of the time, which will develop with support and help, but they take longer. And so it's okay to have other people come in and help them. And also, yeah. not that I'm an, a huge fan of response cost measures, but to, you know, have some form of negotiation with the parent and say, well, look, you know, let the student have, let your child have their mobile phone once they've completed 30 minutes of a task, right? So I think for the students with these challenges, the parental involvement is, is huge and the ability for the parents to step in more and help more is, is pivotal in the student's success. Yeah, I definitely. Agree. Yeah, I remember when I was a middle school counselor uh, before, I used to work with families. That was their, their biggest source of frustration were these parents who might have exceptional executive functioning skills in the area of organization or time management. And then they would come across their, their middle schoolers who don't have those fully developed frontal lobes and be so frustrated by that, that lack of skill in that area and so just that coaching of the parents of how they can work with their kids um, what i always had them do was take that quiz by um, peg dawson from the book smart but scattered and take that and then have their 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 student take their child take that um, quiz and to see who's if their strengths matched or if they were completely different and what type of issues that might um, bring to their fa family dynamic. So I imagine during this time it would be even more suitable or beneficial to take that type of assessment. Well, and I think the power of it, Lori, is that what you're doing is you're just getting everybody to shift their perspective because I think that's what we find a lot of times with parents is that the desire to support is there, right? They're both feet in, full energy there, and just shifting the perspective to one of, look, let's be creative together. Let's figure out what your kids' strengths are. Let's figure out what system works for them because a visual you know, system, a schedule might work for this child, but the other child might need response cost, you know, and, and really get them on, you know, kind of on the team and talking about what they know about their child helps that, that creativity because then you know, it's sort of like once you get off the ground, they just run. So I think those conversations, the more teachers can be talking with home, I think we're all echoing the same thing is just it's it's probably the biggest win for supporting students with executive functioning skills at this time i think it's a very interesting dichotomy as well laurie that you described between the parents who have highly developed executive function skills and the students who don't and you know it's like a, a meeting of minds you know, it, right i i i've not seen it or thought thought of it from that perspective because I believe like myself my executive function is not brilliant I'm two minutes <laughs> late for pretty much everything unless it's a flight and then I'll get early right? four, four hours early <laughs> four hours early holiday starts now you know but so but it's it's interesting right and, and it brings me on to this idea as well of procrastination and this is something that I'm now addressing explicitly with my students is we're doing a unit on combating procrastination and we're watching some amazing TED talks on it. We're looking at what procrastination looks like, some of the advantages of it, but what happens if it continues and what are the strategies? And we're sort of like, 
as in our classes, looking at different ways that we can combat procrastination with this idea of like coming together and coming up with like this checklist, the ultimate guide to being able to tackle those things that you'd rather not tackle ever. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the fun thing. I think once you, once you build in systems for the child with executive functioning, it is one of those areas where you can experience wins because really at the end of the day, what we're doing is you had said the word habit. We're really building habits, right? We're building mm-hmm. pathways in the mind, that idea of neuroplasticity that the brain can change and can adapt and can grow. So the more that we layer in these supports and scaffolds for kiddos, the, you know, and the more that we're consistent with them, you know, the more we see them be able to use them independently. And then, you get those wins and that snowballs, right? That positive, okay, motivation is there now and I can keep moving forward. Um, So I think that that idea of a habit and and explicitly addressing it the way that you're doing with procrastination is huge. And I never thought that I would be like looking at habits through procrastination. But I don't know that, I know Erin that you've been um, in virtual learning for a long time. You're now you know, just coming to the end of that transitioning back. And we're still, we've been in it for 11 weeks now. And I'm not sure how much longer we're going to to go with it. So it's kind of like, you know, all all bets are off from what we would normally do. And instead, we're getting creative with new ways to tackle, for me at least, you know, new, new ways to tackle challenges which haven't come up because we've not been virtual. So right. that's a good question, actually. What are some of the challenges you have faced because it's virtual that you haven't really realized you're facing so much in a, in a physical classroom, if you like? I think, the, I think what I didn't realize is how kinesthetic in my approach I am. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know, so I think not being able to be present with a child and not be able to use all of my body language and my expression and, you know, and, you know, I'm constantly acting things out with kids and rooting it in the senses. And I'm realizing we're 2D at this point, you know, like we're living life in a flat world and we have to be able to bring that to life. Um, and, And so that I think that's that's one of the big wows for me is. Oh, I really like that you said that. That makes me think about, I, I, I've talked about this a lot over the past three months now, about missing that third dimension. And we get so much of a read from that third dimension. And I imagine as well, some of the things that you would be doing automatically with your students, like putting them on a wobbly cushion or getting them a weighted vest or getting them to carry something to another room, whatever it might be all those strategies which become second nature because we're just using them all the time in the classroom we're like oh um how can we do this now you know yeah even yeah. something as simple as like a phonics routine where we have a physical anchor right so i'm making the yeah. a in a short a sound and i'm going ah right when it's in the virtual the students for some reason there's a disconnect and they're not you know we're used to doing just the rhythm of the repeat you know boom boom yeah. boom and they don't give it back to me because it's because i am a flat you know just face on the screen it's so interesting like you do need to engage, you know, through the yeah. screen. That's that whole multi-sensory piece with the phonics. I, yeah. You can, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, I've tried to the different tech where they take the, the keyboard from me and try, but it's lagged or it just doesn't cut it. And so yeah. it's so tough. Yep, yeah. Absolutely. I, so I, then, yeah, go on. 
Oh no, I was just going to ask. So then do you find yourself prioritizing different things? Because I think yeah. that's what, that's one of the ways that I'm adapting is that I'm like, okay, so this skill is really challenging in the virtual sphere. Let's mm-hmm. work on this one. So we shift, we just shift focus. A that's lot of exactly times. it. I'm not doing a lot more guided reading versus the phonics instruction. Um, and then one other thing that I'm really struggling with still after 11 weeks is the uh, the social thinking piece of it. I am using the materials um, and discussing zones of regulation, where they're at, all of that, that self-regulation piece. It's, it's just a struggle because normally it's embedded in with our normal lesson, right? And it just, it comes up so naturally, but through this environment, just that looking at each other eye to eye, not seeing their bodies, not seeing what's happening. It's really hard to read all of that and to go with it and facilitating group-based conversations through Zoom is one of the hardest things I have had over the last 11 weeks. It really is. And you know, one of my very good friends is a speech language pathologist and she does so much work um, over the internet, but one-to-one, and it's a very different beast when it's one-to-one. She has tremendous successes, right? But when you're trying to facilitate a group, when you haven't got that kind of like queuing into the third dimension and the turn taking and everything else, that, that's, it's, it's really hard to manage. And it feels very clunky to me, you know, that whole idea like, I'm just going to be like the or- the conductor for the orchestra, but then the kids are now my orchestra, and I'm literally, you know, doing all yeah. the turn taking. And then you'll be like, <laughs> and I'm fine as well, you know, <laughs> because yeah. you're, like, you're hoping for the feedback. And you're like, oh no, no it's all inferential. No, you have to remain minded to ask about me. You know, it's that whole thing. Or I'm doing a lot of the explaining of the moves, like over amplifying strategies like previewing, right? So I might say, okay, right now I'm going to ask, you know, Bobby this question. And in one minute, I'm going to come to you and be ready to revoice what you heard. Tell me what you heard, you know, and then, then yeah. okay, now are you ready to, re-? like it is, it absolutely is a different type of scaffold and a, and a different amplification of strategy. Well, like speaking that. of strategies... <laughs> Let's, let's move on. Let's talk about strategies. So during our webinar, I remember mentioning or somebody mentioned the Pomodoro timer and I saw a lot of people asking questions about it through the chat. So we've all used it. Matt, can you describe what it is? I live by the Pomodoro technique <laughs> particularly. So I, 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 I love it because it, it's sort of like a quick and easy uh, strategy to use, which has really clear benefits. So basically what you do is before you're going to settle down and, and do some work, you figure out exactly what it is you want to do. And you write a list, a very simple list of all the things you want to achieve. And then you get a timer, and it used to be one of those Pomodoro tomato timers, which you would move to 25 minutes is, is the usual amount of time. But I just use my iPhone timer. So I set the timer for 25 minutes, and I will literally just hammer out all the work I have to do for those 25 minutes. The alarm goes off. I finish what I'm doing. If I'm in flow, I can continue. But if I'm not in flow, awesome, I can stop. I take a break, I go for a walk, I get a cup of coffee, whatever. And then I take, I normally take around five minutes break. I'm all about, you know, generosity in time. 
So I'll take a five minute break and then I'll come back and do so another. So five minutes break. is generous in your world? <laughs> well, you know, For a you break? Know you watch these videos and like, and then you'll take a two minute break and then do another one. After four Pomodoros, you get a 10 minute break. I'm like, no, I'm chocolate and, you know, half a pot of coffee at that point. I, I, it, it always seems like, you know, the extreme end of doing the Pomodoro and I'm like at the other end, like 25 minutes, five minutes not, a loose five minutes, you know? Okay. So here's a follow-up question for you, Matt and Lori too, both of you. And I'm wondering if other listeners are wondering this because for me, I think one of the struggles to be able to define when I'm explaining this technique to teachers or parents is like, how large of a task do you try to accomplish as you're setting your steps in Pomodoro, right? So I think when, especially when we're thinking about kids with executive functioning needs, one of the reasons why we see task and initiation struggles is because there's this looming massive, you know, just cloud of work I have to, to do and I can't even approach it, right? I don't even, the fear of I don't know how to begin kicks in. So how do you choose the right amount when you're doing something like Pomodoro? Like what should you focus on? Good question. I tend to personally put down more things than I know that I will do but just the process of actually doing something and crossing it off, right? And it's a very sort of visceral, I've done that, I can see it's completed, that's checked. You, you, you get that feedback. But I think you're right with students with um, EF challenges or the whole process of working out, well, what exactly is it I need to do? What, are, what do I need to achieve here? And, and when you've got longer tasks, that can be tricky. So there is that skill in learning to break down a long task into smaller segments. And maybe it's at that time that the teacher can step in and work with the student to work out what it is they can get done in that time. Awesome. Yeah, and so when I worked with my middle schoolers, I would actually have them say, okay, I have this page of my math I need to do. And then I'd say, okay, how long do you think that will take you? And just get them to start thinking logically about how much time it would take them to complete a task. And let's list that down. You think it's going to take 35 minutes? Okay, let's break it up into 30 minutes. And so you're going to set your Pomodoro for 30 minutes and then take a break kind of thing. So it's just getting them to just start thinking about it in terms okay. of time. And then, and then it's not so hard to take it on. You know, when you're, you're thinking of taking on that task and it seems so huge, if you think, wow, I can do that in 30 minutes, it's possible. Or if it is going to take an hour, because some of our, you know, middle school students, they do have longer amounts <laughs> they need to finish. Um, if, it, it, if they do think it'll take an hour, then break it up into two different sessions, and then it's more manageable. So it sounds like the key is that Pomodoro isn't a technique that you would use for your entire day of learning, but you're looking at your individual learning segments. So, okay, it's time for math. I'm going to set myself with a Pomodoro. I'm going to write down my tasks. I'm going to set my timer and I'm going to go. And then my break could be my transition before the next learning moment or the next learning topic. Yeah. And, and also for homework, um, I think it's, it's so made for that, right? And so what one thing that I always talked with parents about is don't set that goal. Don't set that, oh, you can play video games when you're done with your homework because mm. that goal is way too far away and they can't reach it. So it's more setting that 30-minute um, task, 25 as Matt said, um, and then a five or 10-minute break to play that video game or play the guitar or whatever it is that they have chosen as their reward. Good, small bite-sized pieces. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it really works. And I think because I apply it to my own life really effectively, and I'll use it more for those tasks that I would perhaps procrastinate more on, like, you know, like, I just need to uh, respond to a bunch of emails or, or I need to uh, grade some work or, or, or something which doesn't spark immediate joy, right? But, but when you know what it is you need to do and you've got that amount of time done, you know that there's a, a break coming up pretty quickly. And, and for me, that seems to work really well. I think what's also very interesting and very helpful around the Pomodoro when it's done effectively for our students with um, executive functioning challenges is that helps them understand and better conceptualize the passage of time. Because passage of time yeah. for our students is, can often be so random. And it made me think of it when Laurie, you said, you know, when you ask a student, how long do you think this will take? And, it's, and they'll say 30 minutes. So in your head, you're like, okay, an hour. Right. You know, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. because, because, you know, our students can often be quite, I or don't they, know. Or they might say, this is going to take me five hours. When realistically, yeah. if they sat down and did it, it would take them an hour or 30 minutes. So, yeah, their, their concept of time can vary. And that can be, I mean, that can, you know, we use visual timers where they can see the passage of time, but that's almost a good reflection point. I'm thinking now about my own cases and going, maybe I need to go back and look at some of our schedules that we prepped and said, okay, how long did it actually take us? And, and over time, be able to sort of reflect on what our process was to build that sense, that kind of internal sense. Huh. Cool. And you said about visual timers as well, and you're right. I love time timers. I mean, that's, that's one type of timer where you, you turn the time around. It's up to 60 minutes. But as the time goes down, the red, the red section, which indicates how much time you've got left on task, gets smaller. So you've got a very clear visual of it going. And it's not necessarily, well, it's not numbers, right? Or it's not pure number. And sometimes numbers for, fun, for some students, again, might be difficult to conceptualize or, or follow. Whereas if you see something getting smaller, like an egg timer or anything like that, that's sometimes a better reference point, I think. Okay, and, and here's a technique too for kids who that's anxiety inducing for, because for some of our kids, that really is a stressful process. Um, one of the things that we've used really, really well is music. So if I know a song is about five minutes long, right, we choose their favorite classical artist or we choose something that's calm, right, we sort of have a playlist going, but we can say, okay, at the end of this song, you should be ready to talk about this. At the end of this song, you should have completed that. And then it's just in the background, but it's a lot less stress inducing for some students than watching that timer tick and they're going and they're starting to sweat and they're looking back and forth and, and, and their brain shuts off because of that anxiety. That is brilliant. I say to the students, I, I'm like, what's your favorite classical musician? Would you like the Beethoven or the Mozart today? <laughs> but it's true because well, I know as teachers, they're like, we're, we're a bit older and we're a bit wiser. We like the calming music. So, you know, they'll come in with the rap music and then they're like, they will have like the Four Seasons by Vivaldi playing. Yes. Oh, that's one of my favorites. But no, we do talk about learning music and music for fun, right? So there is oh, a kind of a learning curve for it. And then the other thing is that if I have a student, sometimes I've had kiddos, it's a great moment for student agency, kind of, you know, choice and student-driven moments. Um, sometimes I've learned about music that I had no idea. You know, sometimes I learned that a kid I would least expect it loves Enya. You know, like it's, you know, you get random stuff, but then I always sort of have my go-tos in my back pocket and I'll play the first 30 seconds of two options and say, which do you prefer? And then we'll go with that, right? So it's, 
I love that you sort of developed that into a thing, and I never, I've never thought of it in those terms. I think that's incredible. You, you got me thinking. The only, yeah. the only thing I'm thinking is that just be a little careful with Enya because her, yeah. uh, her grammar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like. She's not. Please. I will say for the record, she's not my choice. <laughs> she was this one student in particular. Um, I mean, that's hysterical. Right, but if you, you're not going to teach English through that. <laughs> Yeah, so okay, so let's let's rephrase music without words, right? Without without lyrics. Let's. But I'll actually take that one step further. I was reading a study about music, study music, and they actually determined that anything that's predictable. So if classical music is predictable mm -hmm. for them, then that's not actually good study music. It's more that right. Zen music where you're not quite sure where it's going to go because it keeps your brain engaged, right? It right. keeps your. It's that. It's that. Like oh, I've got to you know predict kind of mm -hmm. moment. Um, the other way I've used music, the other time in terms of supporting executive functioning is with um, schedules. So for getting kids up in the morning, for getting kids through the day, it's paired with a visual schedule with pictures. So then by, you know, it's that same concept. It's not any different, but it's just a different application of it is helping a child independently move through their wake up morning routine or their nighttime, you know, just there are lots yeah. of creative uses for it. And I no, think, you, you know, those visual... my memory. You really have like an all those ideas, you know, like the songs you brush your teeth to and all that kind of stuff. But it really is. Yeah. It does really help instill routines. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, all of our students with more intensive needs, they have that visual schedule at home. And again, mm -hmm. it's that parent coaching piece, teaching them how to use the visual schedules, the way you use them at school, and then how they can use them at home to benefit all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Reduce parent stress. They yeah, can hugely exactly. reduce parents' stress. Yeah. And a lot of parents find out that, um, oh, this is a good idea. <laughs> I need yeah. to be using visual schedules more often with and my all child, my kids. Yeah, and they can be independent with the right scaffolds in place. They can be independent, right? Yep. They go can I ask, in terms of this, to both of you, given like what we've said about parent coaching and parental involvement, and how pivotal that can be in the success of the student in the virtual environment. Have you seen progress with students because of what parents are now understanding and, and, and doing, perhaps doing more of or, or learning to do differently? What, have there been some like success cases? Yeah, Lori, do you want you want to jump in or you want me to take? Okay, yeah, we've had, you know, it's not universal. I think it, just like every child is different, every family is different, right? So like some, yeah. my answer is flat out no, you know, um, and some, I, I have one in particular that has just been such a joy to watch because it started out in the beginning where, you know, it was, we just had a lot of heightened emotionality around learning tasks at home where I was, you know, it was 8 p.m. and I had the parent was messaging me and saying, I can't do this. We're falling apart. This isn't working. And, and, and so we started in a kind of a really rough place. And so I think what helped is picking one tiny thing to focus on and get one win. So, you know, with the parent, I sort of identified what is your biggest trigger point? Like what is the hardest point in the day? Let's back up and just work on that one thing. And then I gave her a range of, she, she's a very cerebral parent. So I gave her articles, a couple articles to read, and I gave her a couple strategies. And I said, pick the one that feels right to you or the approach that feels right to you. We'll talk about it. I'll meet with you. We'll coach through it. You'll be ready. When you're ready, you'll implement it. 
she had that one initial win and then it was like, what else can you give me? <laughs> right? It was like, it just because for her, it was the first moment of positive, oh, we can do this. And my child turned around and smiled at me, you know, and then it's just kind of stair-stepping and building on that um, to the point where now I, I just get messages and the child is telling me, you know, Mrs. Manana, remember to use your strategies today. And the mom is saying like, we finished everything before 2 p.m. And, you know, and so <laughs> it's that, that total win came from just backing it up to tiny baby steps and letting the parent tell you what their biggest needs were. Like that's, I think the clincher. Right. So you get, it's like giving parent agency, right? We talk about student agency all the time, but it's giving parents permission. Yep, because their stress points might not be what we anticipate. And if we're just yeah. telling them, we're not actually helping. For sure. How about you, Laurie? Uh, yeah, for me, it's been introducing the social thinking routines a little mm -hmm. bit more with the families because I'm not doing it so much in my lessons, in my one-on-one -on -one lessons with the kids. So talking about like reaction size, uh, size of my problem. Yeah size of my reaction. I have a student that has very large reactions <laughs> to very small problems. And so just introducing the language, same language that we worked on at school, um, introducing that with the parents at home and having them follow up and, and yeah, back that up with, at home with their child. It's, it's been really eye-opening for the family and they're all using it now in their own language. So it, it's been pretty encouraging to watch. The beautiful thing about that is that that, that family has learned to co-regulate, right? So exactly. like that's, I mean, that's the best that's part it. about those moments is that the parents learn yeah. skills for their own regulation. And I love it because the parents are like, every time my um, child, every time we say something to my child about, you know, how big is your reaction that she says, have you been talking to my teacher? <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, wait a minute. These two people are not supposed to be communicating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my world just got smaller. Yeah, oh no. I think that's one of the fascinating things as well as when you, when you do a social thinking program and, you know, to, to advocate for us as teachers as well. Sometimes when we're doing these programs, you're like, oh, can't get Zoom to work and this and that. And you're like, okay, it's a little glitch. It's not a big problem, but it just feels big, right? Yeah. You're sort of reminding me of the language that, that <laughs> is also applicable to, you know, to us as adults as we're trying to regulate ourselves, supporting the regulation of mm -hmm. our students, right? Because that affects when we're working with students who are having challenges, we are going to hit points where we are also challenged. So remembering exactly. that is huge, you know, and, and sometimes it's okay having that permission to say, okay, you know what, this isn't working today. Let's take a breath. Let's check back in later. Or, you know, we need to re look at, look at this a different way. I'm going to think on it and we'll come back another time. You know, like I think that permission right. to take a break is also and, a huge thing. And bringing back that back to the parent piece, modeling that with yeah. the parents. Exactly. Yeah. We provide concessions for the students. We provide concessions for the parents. You know, the, the whole idea, like, we all know that everybody's doing the best they can. And they have to go, like, well, including us, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, yep. and right, if we model it and it's just like, okay, this is not working. That's okay for it to not be great. I kind of don't know what to do now. And I'll yeah. model that as well. Any ideas, you know? 
and, and I'll even literally say that to the students, that you, what can we do now? What can we do differently? I can't get a conversation started. Shall we just move on? You know, and they're like, yeah, okay, move on. Yeah, and you said modeling. I mean, one of the, if, if we think about like, you know, kind of what are the common threads between all the strategies or scaffolds we use to support EF's needs, right? And modeling and making the internal process, the internal talking that we do in the, in the way that we regulate ourselves, making that external, that modeling piece is really one of those kind of like hallmark elements of supporting EF kids, right? So the more that we can then say, you know, illustrate what's going on inside with the lack of our body, you know, language and all of the, the challenges in this 2D world, that modeling and that explicit moment becomes so much more important. I've yeah. just had an aha moment when you said that. I've, I've been advocating, and this is where the balance comes into play, right? Because I've been advocating for silence as we navigate between screens. And I'm a great one for like saying, hang on a minute, I just need to get here. I can't quite find it. And I'll feel the silence. And, and depending on the students I've got, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to share this screen. I'm going to click on Google Classroom. I'm going to go into Classwork. I'm going to click on Virtual Learning and actually talk through oh. what I'm doing and I'm modeling my navigation around yeah. the computer, right? I hadn't thought of it in that, in that term as well, you know. Yeah, tiny teachable moments. Tiny teacher, TTTs. TTTs. <laughs> the three T's. <laughs> Oh, well, guys, I think we should wrap this up soon. Do you have any last thoughts today? Oh, I think using celebrations would be mine. I think that, you know, really one of the most powerful things you can do is build in that snowball effect. So when a child has a win, when you figure out a strategy that works for them, um, when a system starts to function, celebrate it and then reinforce it and just feedback. Hey, when we did that, it really helped. Let's try that again next time and just kind of you know, get the positive snowballing. Absolutely. I agree completely. And, and I would say, just on what we were talking now as well, be realistic and, and be kind and, and, and realize that we are all trying to do the best that we can. And it's, it's, uh, it's an ongoing process. Not, everything, not everything's going to come together overnight. But if you're able to see those small wins and celebrate them and reinforce them and encourage them, then, you know, like you say, it's that snowball effect of the positive cycle. It can only lead to better things, right? Yeah. Here, here. All right. Well, I think that we could continue this conversation for hours upon hours upon hours. And maybe we can do that sometime. But for now, let's call it a day. Thanks, Erin. Thanks, Matt. And uh, thank we'll you, talk Lori. to you next time. Thanks, Laurie. Thanks for Looking inviting us today. And thank you for listening to our roundtable discussion. Be sure to check out all the resources from today's chat at senyainternational.org slash podcasts. And don't forget, if you have an idea for a roundtable discussion topic, let us know. Let's keep networking and learning from each other.